0: are you attending shop talk? If you are, I hope that you're ready for the AI driven future of commerce. If not, you can get ready by joining us and our friends from IM digital, a leading retail experience agency to learn about the future of commerce. You can join their March 18th event taking place at shop talk exclusively with your invite from future commerce. Find out more today at events.imdigital.com.
1: today on Visions.
2: To visions visions is an annual audiovisual trends report that covers the changes in culture and commerce this series is meant to be a companion guide to our 100-page report download and follow along at visions.report episode 6 the sacraments of commerce
0: For many, religion provides a sense of purpose. It is a belief system that we can organize our entire lives around, create everlasting bonds, and connect with like-minded people, but in an increasingly secular society, the reverence that we once held for religion and accompanying rituals has, perhaps, been replaced by a new form of religion—consumerism—where your God is an invisible and unknowable algorithm, and where brands are disciples that are indoctrinating people to their religion—through messages of authenticity, brand mission—and building houses of worship through websites and stores, and the practice of community. In today's episode of Visions, we go live to West Palm Beach, Florida at the Vision Summit, and we sit down with people from behind the scenes who work closely with brands to explore the sacraments of commerce. There's been a lot of talk uh, about this place that brands take in our lives uh, that tries to fulfill meaning and purpose and community in all of our lives. And we've given uh, a term to this. Today, we're talking about the sacraments of commerce. And a lot of brands today ask us to put some faith in them or to believe in them. Uh, When you think of a brand that's asking you to believe in it, what's a brand that comes to mind? And we can name names here. What's a brand that comes to mind that asks you to believe in them and believe in, uh, uh, ascribe to a belief system? And what do you think it says about that brand that they're asking that of a consumer?
1: Patagonia is the first one that comes to mind for me.
0: Brand and omnichannel strategist, Grace Clark.
1: A handful of things underpin the fact that they are so virtuous. It's that they trust in themselves to be able to deliver on that promise. It's that They are promising to continue to build in that way. So it's not just a statement about what is true today, but it's a bigger conversation about what will be true in the future for them. And then the third thing that comes up for me is that they are giving an indicator of what type of company they would be to work for. So they, to me, are addressing what that company is in the world as it pertains to who works for them and with them.
0: If you had to outline a few of their guiding principles, what do you think that Patagonia's guiding principles would be that's created such a belief system?
1: It would be easy to say sustainability is at the top, but that's not what comes up first for me. The first is integrity, and I think that is something that comes through in any way you can experience the brand, whether it's bringing in clothing that you've already owned through them for their worn wear program and them compensating you for it pretty well, or the way that they have stopped and started and paused Patagonia's food program. So if you've ever had freeze-dried astronaut food, there's that's part of their product line is they have fish and they have freeze-dried food that's meant to be taken on travel trips. So there's that uh, explanation of how that actually comes to life in the product. That's integrity to me. And then longevity is underneath that. Sustainability and longevity, I think, are two very different things. Um, but longevity, it seems like they're really building for the long term, both with their business and their partners, but with their customers. Sometimes that's true by virtue of having an assortment that's for kids, but also for adults that take you through different seasons of life. And then underneath that is sustainability, because they do change the way that their business operates over time. But you can't have integrity. You can't be building for the long term unless you are sustainable, sustainable, underneath and sustainability as a marketer is really tricky because it can mean the story you have to tell but the more positive angle there is that you are given an operation that's going to allow you to be sustainable with your team and with your budget with the way that you operate you're not going to be wasting marketing efforts it's easy as a customer to believe in that because you see it proven true it's harder to pick it apart with a company like that
3: and when they say that they're going to i don't know walk away from black friday or give a christmas day off to their customers it seems so much more authentic
0: author and retail analyst maya knights
3: and then a bunch of other retailers go we'll do the same thing me too me too and it's not quite as authentic so yeah i think you have to have that foundation first of true authenticity um, in the branding and a real purpose again i've said it a hundred times yeah. today i'm sorry it's a bit abnormal, no, but it's- if it doesn't come with purpose, it doesn't ring as authentic and true. And it it, do, it makes it harder, I think, to build that belief system or something to believe in.
0: There's, there's this thing that's said in some of our circles is that sort of brands are becoming a form of religion, right? And you can draw very specific analogues um, between uh, the things that religions try to accomplish to give people meaning and purpose of community. Uh, but I think there's even more specific through lines, right? There's a transfer of identity. I think Brian was talking about earlier. I was baptized and confirmed in, in a faith. Uh, that was my public profession of faith. Today, it's a monkey picture on Twitter. Web3 Venture Firm Chief Brand Officer, Michael Miraflor.
4: If you look at Pew studies about the decline of membership in organized religions or even like, you know, local membership clubs or rotary clubs, organizations like social clubs like that. I think savvy brands have realized that there is a white space that going back to our earlier conversation about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I mean that 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 feeling of belonging and community that's been disrupted over the past couple of years because of our digital lifestyles was something that could be infiltrated and addressed directly. I don't think it's necessarily nefarious, but I do think it is something that's worthy of uh, discussion, especially if it's taking advantage of things that are rooted in long-term human identity. Maybe for the first time in history, a majority of Well, maybe not for the first time in history, but at least in our young country's history, you have uh, maybe a a small majority of people um, that claim that they don't belong to uh, any sort of community, religious or otherwise organization. Um, So you'd have to think that others will step in where there is that void. Mm. And brands just so happen to uh, be able to scale to address that.
3: Apple's store experience is like a temple of tech. Isn't it in that sense they have maybe tried to fill some gaps left in terms of community and spaces and turning stalls into something other than a place to push you to, to buy stuff to sell um, sell you stuff. But when you compare Apple with Patagonia, I don't think we would say that Apple generates feelings of like loyalty that verge on faith that verge on religious fervour because it's not underpinned by the values because we we know apples not sustainable we know that they're just a massive corporation and that greenpeace absolutely hates them and so that i think what we what we're saying here is that we you need to have the values underpinned mm. and then follow through with the customer experience for it to be to seem authentic and sincere and lead to that level of fervor and loyalty that verges on religious r- religious intent I might
2: disagree with you on that one. Sure. Not I think your assessment of how Apple and Petagony are different is very accurate.:
0: Mike Lackman, CEO of Trade Coffee.:
2: As to whether they can be analogized to Apple was actually the first one that came to mind for mm. me with that question in some ways. Mm. Uh, I grew up in a less devout or maybe consciously religious household, but in a household that was like very kind of traditional blue-collar Catholic kind of sensibilities. And it wasn't that there was a profound profession of beliefs and really contemplation of the scripture and those things. It was a lot of very everyday, quotidian, handle it tactically, practical routines that you did with people who were like you. And when I think about when I went to a job for the first time, and because I was doing a lot of quantitative stuff, I got a ThinkPad, got to use a lot of Microsoft Excel, and everyone else in the company had an Apple, I just stood out in this very weird... No, no one had like direct antipathy toward me, but there was this kind of sense of... Uh, customs, behaviors, mores, the way you tactically do these things that very subtly signal what's at the core of what Jobs and those guys wanted, which was they wanted to make the company tools for creative thinkers, mm. with the implication being that if you don't have it, then you're just not really a creative type, yeah. which is a pretty pejorative thing to say. Mm. So I think there are different kinds of religions, and so there
1: are different...
3: Well, I would then respond to that by saying what you're describing is cult, not religion.
1: We're jumping straight to the idea that Communities, whether they're religious-based or whether they're brands, can offer community. But there's a very different reason that community exists when it's in a religious capacity. Faith. Faith. And that doesn't mean that all churches and all religious groups and all temples are oriented around faith as we understand it. right? Some of them are businesses. Some of them operate a little bit differently. But to be very colloquial about it, people got into religion because it was a way to experience faith in a way to stay connected to faith and stay connected to the practice of faith. So as we think about brands, the brands that I think are most connected to being a true uh, alternate for religion are the ones that allow you to operate out a part of your identity that's more related to being a human.
3: Are we saying then that the brand has to reflect our own belief system?
0: I think it's the other way. I think the brand imposes a belief system upon us.
3: You don't think we choose brands, but again, there's that cognitive dissonance that I right. shop from Amazon and I use an apple, right? right. I see what right. you mean. I still see where, where you're talking.
0: How I would frame it is that I do think there is a difference between a cult and religion. In particular, maybe the defining factor is that a cult member is adherent despite all evidence to the contrary. And I think that when you have a, it's not just apologist, it's the level above that. And when you, when you sort of separate that out, it becomes very clear then which ones have a real grasp on the heart versus a grasp on the mind. Mm. And I think that there is a, a distinct difference between the two. Um, back to your point, Lackman, a lot of this comes down to traditions. And this is the thing that I want to try to tease out, brands or religions. Emily Weiss says, I think about how are religions scaled. That's how I want to build Glossier. Well, okay, then you have a couple hundred years ahead of you. Because in reality, a lot of what we consider and identify, the, and, but by the way, grace, amazing to, distinct, uh, to draw distinction between religion and faith. Uh, sometimes they're one and the same. A lot of f- traditions that we all grew up with are deeply rooted in a practice that came from our ancestors, that came from our parents. It's a tradition you hand down. Can we say the same about brands. I think we actually can. I eat Honey Nut Cheerios every day. Do you know why? Because my dad ate Honey Nut Cheerios every day. It reminds me of my dad. And I think there's something very deep about that that speaks to me as a person. It brings me back. You want to talk about maybe Honey Nut Cheerios is the new communion. For me, I'm coming back into remembrance. General Mills is going to love this, by the way. It brings me back into remembrance, right? If that's what communion is supposed to be, it's a symbol. It's to bring us back into remembrance of something, some kind of sacrifice. My dad's no longer with me. I remember him every day. And I think that there is, whether we identify it or not, whether we say it directly or not, whether brands intend to or not, there is a place for that. We all experience that. That's why I don't believe that hyperscale of brand and venture-backed uh, scale and kind of hacking consumer in such a way can create generational affinity. I don't know if that's true, because you kind of have to be around for a hundred years for that to take hold and become part of your DNA.
3: I think the brands that have had longevity, um, and it's easier to say this, it's been easier to say a lot of what we've been discussing around luxury brands, interestingly, yeah, that's about in to bring that sense. Too. Yeah.
0: Again, Maya Knights.
3: Your dad's passing down his his luxury watch, his Brightling or his Omega. And I think in that sense, that's kind of inbuilt already. Um, maybe what we're pointing out here is that there is an opportunity for brands that necessarily don't have that, but they need to uh, think more about the way that they are marketing and um, communicating about, communicating with their customers about the usefulness of their products, their, their purpose of their products, how they operate in the background. I think I make the distinction between Patagonia and Apple because I don't see that, well, Apple's not necessarily setting out to be mm-hmm. virtuous. Do you see what I mean? They're mm-hmm. trying to give us a positive customer experience and a, the apex technology user experience, but they're not doing it to save the world, as it were.
4: But like a cult, exiting the Apple ecosystem is oh. extremely painful.
0: Once again, Michael Miraflor.
3: You have to explain you lose, why.
4: You lose everything, though, because if everything's in iCloud and it's connected to all devices mm-hmm. to exit from that ecosystem, kind of feels like you have to leave your family behind, like, in, in, a, in a cult-like way. So I, I feel like that—that that, that um, um, is an extra manifestation of that distinction between, like, religion um, and brand. But I, I will say as an anecdote, um, you know, when I was growing up, and I grew up in a, a pretty devout Catholic household, uh, surprise, surprise, in Filipino, right? Um, you know, there were, there, were, there were only a couple of occasions that we would dress up for on a regular basis. One would be to go to church every Sunday. The other would be to worship at the Temple of Consumerism, which would mm-hmm. be to, to go to a shopping center for the reasons of, like, maybe my mother wanted to purchase, like, a luxury good or something like that. There was, it, it was, like, it was, it was throughout childhood, it was perceived as, like, a uh, something of a higher order. But mm-hmm. it was always only in relation to brands that had a history behind it, that had a bit of reverence behind it, um, that stood for... Uh, it's like generational uh, storytelling and ideals, or whatnot, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's 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 one way of looking at it. Um, I think luxury goods always have this um, this halo of um, you know being able to bestow and kind of like signal association with society or um, other people that share the same taste. In much the same way that people find that sort of belonging. Mm-hmm either now or or used to find that in more religious settings.
0: In our Visions 2022 study, we found that 44% of consumers in our study have identified themselves as becoming more superstitious in recent years. Post-pandemic, we know that consumers have started and maintained new rituals. In fact, in our study, we found that 89% of those respondents said that they've become more ritualistic. And of the 195 people that said they completely agree that the brands that you engage with broadcast your values, over 113 of them said that they were more likely to participate in organized religion. But what is religion? The religion of consumerism isn't steeped in tradition like a classical religion would be. Yet it undoubtedly exists. Whether we like it or not, Consumerism shows all the markings of a system of belief. To commit yourself to the acquisition of vast amounts of high-priced and luxury goods requires devotion and commitment. So then, lifestyle brands put you on a journey, that road to enlightenment, where few pursue it and fewer still reach it. The point of luxury goods is that so few can have them, and that they become an outward sign of devotion and allegiance to a particular people group or a system of belief. Like a cross around the neck, fashion becomes a signal of devotion. So if consumerism is a type of religion, who then hears our prayers?
1: Gyms, especially yeah. luxury gyms, oh, are yeah. <laughs> really top of mind for me here. and yeah. And there's a very tangible example for us in the neon lights at any Soul Cycle studio that's a tribe. So the idea that you are belonging, mm-hmm. that you are performing an activity together in person with people is a very literal analogy to what church going can feel like. But it also is a luxury, not only to be in a studio like that, For exercise, but also the idea that you can work on your body and that you can think about your wellness. Yeah. Right. To me, that is such a luxury good. And as a gym goer of Equinox, everything feels like it is extreme ritual and is it is extremely intentional and beautiful. And now that there are classes there for Pilates, breath work, mindfulness, it is truly. Feeling more and more and more and more like a faith-based, self-centering mm-hmm. retreat going there. It's
4: like a spiritual experience Or that's how they would like it you is, to think about it. Is
1: it is. Co- I mean, I might be an outlier here in that I grew up Catholic and no longer really feel like I have a faith, but I certainly have a spirituality, and it might be rooted more in karmic energy mm-hmm. and the belief that hopefully I can leave people better than I found them. Mm-hmm. But I want to leave myself better than I found myself. So yeah. that means that I buy Hoka and I go to Equinox and I use Keels there. But that's because it keeps me connected to that experience. Not only are all the senses entangled in that experience, but to me, that is the place that I go not just every Sunday, but every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I know the people at the front desk. Sure. It is truly the place that I go more than my home. And I do wish that I had something that felt like there was faith connected to something bigger than just Mm. the idea of me being my best self. But that isn't really presented. There is no cool church. And I'm not going to let us sit here and say that Hillsong is that, although we can (laughs) all have that point of view. But I don't know where there is. I don't really see in the market a place to have an exploration of faith and maybe some godlike force. That is cool and feels like it's something i can participate in
2: well maybe i can counterpoint this a little bit um and there is a historical example i'll bring up um so in um in ancient greece there's a school of thought here that when you look at the way the temples were set up it's a very very hilly country there's very little flat land the sacred lands owned by the temples tend to be the only places that could actually cultivate beef whenever you read about sacrifices, they always involved sacrificing beef. They were basically butchers and meat restaurants. Mm -hmm. And there was a combination of going there to worship Mm -hmm. and practically going there to eat protein. Mm -hmm. Like, they were the places that had that. It was a place where people all came together. It wasn't feasible for all the people to own all their own protein. They had to eat protein. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay that there are some kind of utilitarian, functional, quotidian, Mm -hmm. almost potentially even greater purposelessness Mm -hmm. kind of elements of those things that did end up becoming religious. And so, again, if we're talking about we're all gravitating toward aspirational luxury brands except for Cheerios, Um, you look at something like we talked about Figs and Brunt earlier. You could look at Yeti, which is ultimately rooted in this, like, really unbelievably high quality, I'm becoming a part of this kind of professional grade outdoor pro at what they do kind of behaviors. I think from what can we all learn from that Mm -hmm. in Sacraments of Commerce sort of a thing, Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of value And being a very deep part of very frequently repetitive, tactile, human, utilitarian things. Mm -hmm. Like you just, like you rattled off so many elements of your routine about Mm -hmm. keels, going in, breath, mindful, Mm -hmm. like those things. I think about what we try to do with coffee with our customers sometimes. You think about people holding that Yeti cup every day. Mm -hmm. I think there are some elements of that that when you jump to Patagonia, it may throw us off the scent a little bit. Because there Mm -hmm. probably isn't room for every brand to have that degree of purpose in the way they are conceived.
0: I would say then that it's not that any one brand can embody all of the ideals of a multi-sensory experience. It's that all of them in mass, in total, account for this deficiency, right? Where culture has, like, you could say... With the, I think Kiri gave the statistic over 50% of US households are Amazon Prime subscribers. I mean, I would say that Amazon Prime is the new, you know, religious voting block in that regard, and mm-hmm. um, that they have more power and more say so in the consumer and the minor consumer and uh, self identifying evangelicals in the United States. I do want to, when you talk about multi sensory experience, think about uh, to draw on historical examples of, at least in the Christian church, this is the place where the arts were were held and kept and funded, right? Traditionally, um, you know, we have points of history where uh, art was very important. We had incense, we had calisthenics, stand, sit, kneel. Like there's there's all kinds of ways that a trip to the temple could have been a a means uh, as a search for sustenance. I'm really interested in this new sort of behavior that I'm witnessing, that people seem to be very protective of their algorithm engaging in what I would call sort of ritualistic behavior to sort of tune it uh, or to train it or not engaging in behavior so as to not offend it. And I, I'm curious if this interests any of you and or if you engage in this behavior. Um, and I first noticed it specifically when uh, Brian asked me to listen to Sufjan Stevens for a road trip in my car on my Spotify. And then my Spotify was ruined for about two weeks. Um, and never again, I will never yeah. listen to Brian's music again. Um, but this is an interesting sort of behavior. It's almost superstitious, right? Like we are we, we, now changing our behavioral patterns based around uh, what these new disembodied beings are serving to us.
4: I think I, I counterbalance the idea of getting stuck in an echo chamber with always maintaining like a Finsta, like an, an alternate profile that is not trained just to see how the world might look Mm-hmm. when it is not edited by my pre-existing thoughts or behaviors, right? So like I have two TikTok accounts. I have a few Instagram things. I have an Instagram account where I only follow brands. Same. And then I, I see what the ads look like there versus like my personal account versus a couple, maybe another account that I maintain. Mm-hmm. I personally have a curiosity. I compare my feed with friends and it's always interesting to see how much an algorithm affects the types of information, images, ads that we receive. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's really disturbing. Other times I'm thankful that I'm not getting what they're getting, right? But every so often when, just like how you've explained, it feels like the algorithm is off and I try to correct it, I think actively, like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm doing it for my own sanity because I'm so used to being delivered a certain type of information. And I'm I'm not quite sure if that's healthy, but that's just how it is right now.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our partners. This podcast is brought to you by Shopware. Shopware is an e-commerce hub that allows you to offer relevant, compelling experiences for your consumers and your back office team. The open source core and the open commerce approach allows brands to build however they want, turnkey, headless, PWA, or any combination thereof, thanks to the all sales channels welcome approach. Shopware creates the most engaging experiences imaginable, from B2B and B2C to multi-store and guided shopping. And Shopware features a worldwide ecosystem of developers, agencies and technology partners. Find out more at shopware.com/fc. That's shopware.com/fc. That's, it's like a ritualistic rain dance. Like we have to now perform some function to appease some being that's causing some harm to us instead
2: of, you know.
1: I think everyone does at this point have a responsibility to be proactive about their own algorithm. And it is something that has been such a net benefit for serendipity and discovery. Certainly on the brand side, it's been really helpful. But given the proliferation of what we're seeing and echo chamber development, I think it's incumbent on humans to have a front foot there and not simply be passengers in the experience that they're having. And I think maybe the first time I encountered Michael's Twitter feed, the main one, the only one I know about, there's a pinned tweet at the top about choosing to follow more artistic-related accounts on your own personal feeds so that hopefully over time you'll be exposed to things that aren't so codified in your own beliefs or your hobbies, but you intentionally expose yourself to other things. That stuck with me. I'm talking about it years later. It's so important that we do not let ourselves become hardened in these small communities, Um, certainly because we want to continue to expose ourselves to other things. But it's one way for us to continue to be human in these digital ecosystems. I'm also really intentional about training my algorithm to bring me those sorts of things. So I make sure when I'm scrolling on TikTok to engage with things that feel like they're more artistic or they, or I will sit there and let a video play five times if I want to communicate to the algorithm that I'm really interested right now in building a running habit. But there are ways that make me feel like I'm at least participating and have a leg up on this technology. Even if, of course, that's not true, I don't understand the half of it. But we have a responsibility to do that.
0: Does this undercut a point that we made earlier that if you're aware of this behavior and that you're training this, this, this being, right, you're training this, uh, this algorithm through your behavior – you, in essence, you know you're being watched, mm. so you're you're behaving a certain way. Mm. Earlier, we said let's not try to interpret people's actions. Let's just actually just talk to them and see what they want. Wouldn't it be easier if someone just asked you if you're into running? Why do you have to engage in a
3: bunch of behavior? I see a post. I often see posts on Instagram, or Facebook, or Twitter, and I'm like, what the hell is that? And I click on it, hide, and they yeah. say why, and so you can be intentional <laughs> in that sense. I mean, I was going to take a counterpoint. Your point of view, which is actually, I think, when algorithms are working, you don't notice them. You shouldn't notice them. And to your example with Brian and Spotify, that algorithm should have been clever enough to know.
0: This is an outlier. This is an outlier.
3: We are not going to feed. For example, I'm staying with friends at the moment while I'm in the US and I'm staying (laughs) I'm in their Virginia house while they're in their DC house, but I have all of their streaming services. And if I try and watch something on Netflix, I'm like, oh, they're going to see what i have been watching on Netflix. Whereas I go to Prime and instantly it gives me the option to create a guest account. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to go for that because I don't want to mess with their algorithm, right? But that's because the algorithm isn't clever enough yet, I think. But there is also the opportunity and the requirement, I think, for you as a user to be proactive as well, to help direct the algorithm.
2: There is a little bit of a, a tough side to this one, which is to your point about, like, why don't we just ask? One of the challenges when you look at these repeated behavior things, I think about, like, we're a very small microcosm of a coffee sure. business, but you're talking about these platforms like YouTube, which are just that. To say exponential is not even doing it justice in terms of how different that is. But the difference between opt-in and opt-out is massive. <laughs> and what you, if you can only kind of engage or sell to someone as many times as they explicitly choose to opt-in and make another choice you're only going to get as many engagements as you get shopping experiences. The point of the algo is that it doesn't say, would you like to see another video and hide that behind a curtain? Because most people would probably say no. It's, let's just start watching this one. Mm -hmm. And similarly for us, if we're going to get 50 shopping experiences a year, we can't get 50 full funnel experiences a year out of a lot of our customers. But if that algo picks the next coffee effectively for people, we get those experiences. Mm -hmm. And so I think the the challenge becomes – and I actually would say this is one of the weaknesses in our business right now that we're very sensitive to. Um, we talk a lot, both in terms of culture internally and also in terms of customer experience, that like, there's this notion of you can drive a car very erratically and it feels in control. If you're in the passenger seat, it can feel really disruptive. That's your right. Your hands aren't on the wheel. Yeah. And how can we find ways to kind of, for those who do want to have more control over that, not necessarily make it a series of choices that then they have to replace all the machine decisions, mm-hmm. but give them really clear agency for where they are on that map how simply they could actually understand what it means to jump on a different track. Meaning like in Kyrie Irving terms, he'd be like, you're looking at a lot of flat earth stuff, Kyrie. Do you want to keep (laughs) watching? Because there's also (laughs) these people who think the earth is round. And you could watch those videos too if you'd like to see the counterpoint. And when you hear Kyrie talk about it, he's like, yeah, all I saw was this one thing. And I watched 50 in a row and it was really compelling. If I watched A versus B 50 times in a row, I probably wouldn't have ended up there.
3: Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that, Unfortunately, maybe the the reason why we we don't feel empowered and we don't have enough level of control is because our data is being so monetized. I mean, it's quite sad to admit, but it's taken me years to beat the Facebook algorithm in the sense that I go into the settings and it gets buried deeper and deeper and deeper. What are your ad preferences? Mm -hmm. And you know the topics that they choose for you? Now, when I go into those topics... Wow. completely blank because every single time I've gone in I've gone no no just to, just 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 to 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 play devil's advocate you know to see what happens but at the same time now I've got a pretty anonymous Facebook experience they don't really know who I am because I've told them I don't like anything um there has to be there has to be a way as you say of giving us back control. But I feel that the, particularly the social networks, they're trying to obfuscate it. They're trying to remove us from that um, because it threatens their ability to monetize. Mm. Um, so I think the model in that sense, first half the business model has to change um, in order for us to feel that we have more control. And if we had more control, maybe we wouldn't feel controlled by the algorithm.
1: I think people like their algorithms. I mean, Michael and I have spoken about this before, especially younger people talk really fondly about their algorithms. If you go on TikTok and look at the hashtag, my algorithm, people are either filming videos of themselves, talking to their phone, saying things like engagement ring, flowers, wedding, to (laughs) to their boyfriend's (laughs) phone, or they're simply talking about (laughs) experiments that they're running. And this is something that's true, I think, of all ages, but you see it specifically with people who tend to be on the younger side. And Mm. I joke very affectionately about my algorithm because it really brings me interesting stuff. I quite like it and I feel very happy that it exists. And it does feel like an other. It does feel like something that's not me, but something that lives in my phone. But it's really responsible for the serendipity that I feel going through the digital landscape. And if I can have some element of magic and discovery, if I'm scrolling, if I have to be scrolling, and I do because I enjoy it, I want some serendipity in there. I want to be presented with things that I wouldn't find. To your question about shouldn't someone just ask you what you want? I don't know. I have no idea what I want, want. And that's okay. And I think consumers don't really know what they want. Before Instagram, rather, let me say it this way when I heard about Instagram, I didn't think oh, what other social network could I use instead? It was the only game in town. And I had never heard of that idea before. And it was great. And the same thing is true with TikTok. I've never seen video-based social media that's not really social media. It's just entertainment. Unless you're younger, you tend to not follow people who you know in person. It's really just short YouTube for now. But that all comes back to the fact that the algorithm is really this power, this power that is, that exists separate from you. And to me, it really is some sort of sense of connecting with other people that I never would have come across otherwise. So I'm not saying it is an alternative to religion, but it is an element of something that feels bigger than me that I'm participating in, that I want to understand, that everyone else has as well. And it's hard to make sense of it except to say that, like, it exists, and I do feel like it's our job to influence it so we don't fall down the rabbit hole of flat earth.
4: Right. But you're also a sophisticated... (laughs) Uh, consumer, yes. and you're aware of the choices that you have. I think um, a vast majority of people don't care for or, or d- don't don't understand how an algorithm works, or right. even what it what it what it is. Or
1: would mind it if they knew.
4: Right.
0: This episode is brought to you by Clévo. ClayVu captures e-commerce shoppers' intent and then leverages AI to create personalized search and discovery experiences that allow your brand to go beyond keywords typed into the search box. Klavu's end-to-end search and discovery solution is easy to configure, optimize, and maintain for all major shopping platforms in just hours. Klavu's proprietary technology is driving traffic and conversion and loyalty for over 3,000 leading global brands. Check them out today at klavu.com. Visions is brought to you by Yatpo an e-commerce marketing platform that helps online businesses win customers for life with interconnected solutions for reviews, SMS marketing, loyalty programs, and more. With Yachtpo, brands like Steve Madden, Brooklinen, Quip, and Love Wellness are able to create innovative experiences that boost customer loyalty and repeat purchases. Join Yachtpo in keeping commerce on the cutting edge by downloading the Visions report today. Visit yotpo.com/visions. That's Y-O-T-P-O dot com slash visions.
4: To me, it goes back to like a base level of education, really. But whose responsibility is that other than your own personal responsibility to educate okay. yourself to the point where, you know, you, you have the ability to train your algorithm, but don't let it take advantage of you and manipulate you and, and what have you. I, for a week, went without my Twitter algorithm. If you go on the upper right, click on the stars. You can just do reverse chronological order so that everything comes as it is tweeted. Mm -hmm. And for the first few days, I was so enamored with this new life that I felt was breathed into my Twitter account because I was seeing accounts that I hadn't seen in years. I had been following them because I tend to follow you know quite a few accounts, but um, you know, like I would see the same people over and over again. I, I flipped my account to reverse chronological, and wow, this whole it's like a whole world opened up. But then after a couple of days, I felt myself missing my algorithm. Like oh, the 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 reliable voices that used to be surfaced to the top every time I opened or at least every morning would greet me with like you know familiar faces because I interact with them on a regular basis. I wanted that back. So it felt like, oh, I want my friends back or I, I want the reflection of my personality expressed through this feed to be reinjected. I thought it would go the other way. I thought I would be like a reverse chronological stand forever, but
3: <laughs> But I don't like the way they impose that I'll go on you because when I, I don't visit Facebook much anymore um, but when I remember what is it about eight five seven years eight or seven years ago when they introduced the preference and you had to keep switching to recent yeah I yeah. kept switching to recent I was like I'm just tired of this I'm tired of being forced to yeah. constantly switch on to recent because frankly at the same time You know, we're all getting home at the same time. My friends are tweeting at the same time. They put their kids to bed. They're now posting what they've taken pictures of during the day. For me, actually, seeing things in chronological order made more sense. It just resonated more. Mm. But the fact that they were constantly trying to force me to see things in the order that they thought I should see things in just drove me away from the platform completely, particularly because if I could toggle it and leave it off. Great, but don't default back to the way you think. So again, it's a balance of power, I think, there that, that needs to be finely tuned, finely balanced.
0: We are also in the midst of uh, a couple other things that have taken place in, in the way that we think about the work that we do in the world. Um, as meeting some sort of like base need for people. Something that I have observed, and I, I would like your guys' reaction to this as we wrap up, is this cycle that I believe we're in at this moment is that people are increasingly trying to become brands. So people are becoming brands. Brands are becoming religions. Religions are becoming brands unto themselves. And brands are becoming people. And we have tried to We have created this really interesting circular behavior of the way that we have created purpose and meaning both for ourselves and the way we ascribe purpose and meaning to organizations and corporations and the roles that they play in our lives. And I find that not just to be fascinating to witness, but potentially different to any other point in a human evolutionary arc. And that maybe this is a really differentiating point for all of us in the way that we're actually
4: behaving in commerce in the world. I saw a quote on Twitter the other week that said, strongly held religious beliefs are the new counterculture. Mm. Um, And it forced me to think about religion's place in society, cult's place in society, and just what the youngest of of the consumer base might be thinking about how the relationship between things of that nature and commerce kind of don't exist. Or, or, or its place in pop culture don't exist, to where it can be the cool thing to, to hold strongly religious beliefs. But religious beliefs don't necessarily have to be religious per se, like organized religion. That could be interchangeable with brands. So I think the young person that tweeted this was kind of acknowledging the fact that, you know, they're very susceptible to um, that sort of thinking mm. um, or that sort of system of belief, which I think is fascinating. Um, which sort of like, Fills in the dots between the the the, the different um, relationships that you just mentioned right now.
1: I will die on this hill that I think brands are not religions, and this isn't because I am a particularly religious person. Because I'm not, but it's that we are right now looking at things on a very particular timeline where we've set for yeah. ourselves a time horizon, and we are looking at the beginning of time in organized religion and now. But if we expand into the future just far enough, I would predict that we'll see congregating quite literally around organized religion again or faith. And my hope is that it doesn't look necessarily like being led by an influencer. Mm -hmm. But my view may change. So strong opinions loosely held is very much the way I tend to live my life and the way I tend to work. But I think we will be seeing a return to religion in a way that is not loosely based around wellness or mindfulness or affirmations, but something Mm. that is more dogmatic and rooted in connection to other people and some sense of what on earth are we all doing here? I think that's what we're moving toward. And I think that's the extension of this vibe shift that we're in.
2: And it can't be just about like the consumption of goods, right?
1: Definitely no.
2: I'll try to be an optimist. And again, maybe a little bit, um, little bit Pollyanna about it, but I don't know where on the continuum which way all those different things were pointing. I can't recall exactly how the order worked, but let's just say there's a greater degree of individual humanity being injected into some of these other entities. I do think there's an opportunity that if we do it right, that there's a chance for that to be a way to propagate a greater degree of decency. Like I think I found um, in, in one of our staff emails a few weeks ago in the, when, the, when the Ukraine conflict was breaking out, feeling very uncomfortable at the times that we had talked about wartime and peacetime from like a business footing perspective, mm-hmm. where it was just a lot of like, we are full of shit if we think that are we going to get all the coffee bags shipped? Has anything to do with wartime? Mm-hmm. This is wartime mm-hmm. and war is a lack of decency. So like, let's take a sen- second recenter and say, if we're all people, we treat our customers as people to treat our connections, roasters, individuals as people, a greater degree of individual people to people connections, if that comes with a greater degree of decency among those people. is probably an opportunity for all that to do well. I can't say exactly whether that goes the right way or the wrong way, though. To some degree, it's just the golden
0: rule, right? Treat others you'd want to be treated.
1: Do we think that insurance is going to start to come with preventative care in the form of therapy for everybody? Because that might be a way to get to this.
0: That in particular, I think we have a challenge with here in the United States. That goes down another rabbit hole.
3: I have to agree with Grace that brands can never be religions, but that, the, to Mike's point, the aspiration, as long as, as it is to be a force for good, um, to, to leave the world a better place than you entered it, to treat people as you would be expected want to be treated yourself, um, can, can lead to the same kind of fervor and loyalty that brands want, Um, That is similar to religion, but the reason I think that they can never get there in terms of what we have um, from organized religion now is because it's transactional, you know. In that sense, the minute you, you you inject money, and I need to make money out of this, but you know, you've got examples as we've already discussed, like Patagonia. I don't see Patagonia saying I want to be the next Nike, you know. I think they have. Do you see what I mean? They 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 want to stay true to themselves, and that. Might that could be at the expense of shareholder growth, Mm. right? So you've got to have that fine, fine balance. And I do think the way that brands are setting themselves up in that sense means that we as people are taking on those brand identities like a religious um, faith, you know, like uh, you would wear your sari or your hijab or, you know, we are starting to take that on. But I think, and I don't think it's bad for... um, brands to aspire to be virtuous in that sense but i just don't think we're ever going to get to the state where it's it we're we're using brands to replace organized religion like like Mm. um michael said we're probably coming full circle in that sense that we've gone so far down the rabbit hole of brand identity and using brands to identify ourselves that to your point we feel this hole this spiritual hole that drives us back towards religion
0: What an incredible conversation. I want to talk about it more. And maybe we can. You can actually lend your voice to the conversation and be part of this. Drop us a line at hello at futurecommerce.fm. Humans desire to belong and to connect with one another. And that's not going away anytime soon. But our reliance on the algorithm and technology has increasingly led us to feel more lonely, more isolated, and more withdrawn the need to congregate around similar causes and rituals and shared communities is becoming increasingly apparent. Try as they might, brands have not and cannot succeed in creating meaning and purpose for people. And sometimes purpose is born of failure. Humans are flawed and make mistakes. Can brands provide an avenue for repentance and restoration? Can they offer consolation during times of grief or loss? Or do they deepen our state of discontent, asking us to acquire just a little bit more, spend just a little bit extra, and we'll finally find happiness? Where brands may act as a temporary surrogate for things that religions provide, they fall woefully short of helping people to find peace, tranquility, and contentment.
2: The Visions podcast is brought to you by Future Commerce. You can find more episodes of this podcast and all Future Commerce properties at futurecommerce.fm. Download our 100-page companion guide on cultural and consumer trends by visiting visions.report. That's visions.report.